0: for i will consider my cat Geoffrey, for he is the servant of the living god duly and daily serving him for at the first glance of the glory of god in the east he worships in his way for this is done by wreathing his body seven times round with elegant quickness For then he leaps up to catch the musk, which is the blessing of God upon his prayer. For he rolls upon prank to work it in. For having done duty and received blessing, he begins to consider himself. For this he performs in ten degrees. For first, he looks upon his forepaws to see if they are clean. For secondly, he kicks up behind to clear away there. For thirdly... He works it upon stretch with the forepaws extended. For fourthly, he sharpens his paws by wood. For fifthly, he washes himself. For sixthly, he rolls upon wash. For seventhly, he flees himself that he may not be interrupted upon the beat. For eighthly, he rubs himself against a post. For ninthly, he looks up for his instructions. For tenthly he goes in quest of food. For having considered God and himself, he will consider his neighbour. For if he meets another cat, he will kiss her in kindness. For when he takes his prey, he plays with it, to give it a chance. For one mouse in seven escapes by his dallying. For when his day's work is done, his business more properly begins. For he keeps the Lord's watch in the night against the adversary. For he counteracts the powers of darkness by his electrical skin and glaring eyes. For he counteracts the devil, who is death, by brisking about the life. For in his morning orisons, he loves the sun and the sun loves him. For he is of the tribe of Tiger.
1: Welcome back for another episode of School of Poetry, a poetry podcast brought to you by Loughborough University that celebrates the exciting world of poems and poets, the great and the not so great, and we'll come on to those. Uh, I'm Dr Oliver Terl, lecturer in English here at Loughborough University, and I'm delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues who are in fact making uh, return visits to uh, the School of Poetry studio. Um, Dr Barbara Cook is a lecturer in English whose interests include 20th century autobiography and life writing, uh, including the work of Evelyn Waugh, and Barbara is the co-executive editor of the complete works of Evelyn Waugh. Uh, welcome, Barbara. Oh, welcome Thank back. Thank you very
0: much, <laughs> Alice. lovely to be back.
1: And it's also very nice to welcome back Dr. Kerry Featherstone, lecturer in creative writing, whose interests include contemporary travel writing, uh, particularly about Afghanistan. So welcome, both hello, of you. Hello, everybody. It's very good to have you back. Um, that poem that you heard, read at the uh, beginning of the podcast was um, actually an excerpt from a much longer work called Jubilate Agno. Uh, Rejoice in the Lamb, in Latin, uh, by the 18th century poet Christopher Smart. And Barbara was reading it out. Um, but of course, really, it's, uh, it's a cat poem. Is it just a cat poem? It's a poem about his pet. It's a poem by uh, an 18th century poet about his pet cat. And there's an interesting story behind it that we'll come on to. Um, so, Barbara, um, you suggested this uh, did, excerpt yeah. to us.
0: Yeah, um, I first came across this poem um, as a sung piece. Um, Regular listeners will know that I used to be in a church choir and um, I came across it as a piece of church music. Um, It was arranged by Benjamin Britten. And there's just so much about the words of this poem that I think people can identify with that kind of raise a wry smile but it's not in any way cute or saccharine. Mm. Some of the poems we talk about later on may sort of fall into that kind of sentimental category, but this is this is not a sentimental poem at all. Um, it's not about um, what the cat can do for his owner. Mm. It's actually the owner very closely observing his cat, uh, which he had um, plenty of opportunity to do because it was actually written while um, the poet Christopher Smart was incarcerated for insanity. Um, It was written during um, 1759 to 1763 uh, when he was living at Bedlam with his cat, oh sorry, Mm -hmm. St Luke's Hospital. St Luke's hospital sorry with his cat geoffrey um and he, it was a very lonely time for him so obviously it gave him plenty of it I feel really glad for christopher smart that he had had his cat with him and mm. we now nowadays we we know what a huge impact on people's mental health having having a pet um can be really beneficial yeah sort like uh, of yeah, yeah, therapy yeah but we sort of a talk a lot don't we about sort of like the sort of the petting of of, of an animal or yeah. also, you know but actually i think from this poem, you get a real sense of the cat's personality. Geoffrey's sort of innate catness yes. comes through in, in every line. You, know, yeah. you can see him there in the shaft of sunlight in the morning. And I just think it's a, a beautiful, beautiful sort of tribute to, to this cat that helped, helped him in a really dark time.
1: Absolutely. And as you say, he's really observing the cat. He's observing the movements, the daily rituals, you know, the habits of the cat. Um, but not sentimentalising it, not romanticising it. Um, this
0: cat's a hunter. Yeah, you know, yeah. we we say at the end, you know, he sort of talks of him being the tribe of tiger. It's quite interesting to think this is um, not that long before William Blake's tiger. Ah, uh, yes, right. So, I uh. think so he's um, you know, he's a fierce cat, mm. um, and I think also the sort of suggestions that of his sort of merc- <laughs> merciful nature don't. I don't know if I'm fully. Are you convinced by his merciful nature?
1: Yeah, that, that's the only thing, and I'm not sure about yeah. n- knowing cats. If he meets another cat, he will kiss her in kindness. Hmm. Mm.
0: No, I've never quite territorial,
1: aren't they cats? You know? I've never seen a cat do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Known for their rivalries, and so, also
0: the idea that you know it's kind to play with your prey. And most people find that one a more disturbing. Elements. Yeah, <laughs> it like, might play yeah. with it
1: as a sport. Absolutely, yeah, and, and anyone uh, who's put
0: their sort of toe in half a mouse. You know, mm. um, so yeah, I'm not convinced necessarily that these are you know de- demonstrations of kindness necessarily, but
1: no, yeah. no, exactly. Um, but it is interesting, particularly uh, towards the end of this. I mean, this it does go on. It's it's a bit longer than this. The uh, section where he's uh, it is, yeah.
2: um,
1: Sort of, I suppose, you know, eulogising Jeffrey and. Prick, um, in in a way, singing his praises, but also you know, um, just observing his his innate nature, if you will. Um, but it's interesting towards the end where he brings in the devil. You know, he counteracts the devil, who is yeah. death, by brisking about the life. I mean, this is a this is a religious poem, isn't it, as a whole? And um, Geoffrey is part of that idea of worshiping God, and uh, Geoffrey is godly. You know, he's a godly cat. He's not. Uh, which is familiar, or, you know, all of those kind of...
0: Yeah, um, and it reminds me a bit of um, sort of John Milton's work, actually. Mm. Um, uh, there's a sonnet on, on his blindness, yes. uh, where Milton's reflecting on, on his blindness, and he has this line in it about, they also serve who only stand and wait, yeah. and it's what he seems to be getting at, and I think what Christopher Smart is getting at as well is this idea that you, you praise God by who you are, Mm. Um, you know, by celebration of who we are. So you know, so Milton, as a blind poet, is not expected to do things um, that you, a sighted person, would do. And actually, as himself, he he is um, glorifying God. And it's the same with the cat, by his very catless Yeah, that is, and it sort of feeds into us a lot of romantic ideas that are just sort of beginning to come in at this period. In um, the, the sort of idea of almost a pantheism that we'll see in Samuel Taylor Coleridge, mm. this idea of God yeah. being and everything. Christopher Smart. Believe that you know everything was praising God, but just needed a voice, so people knew that. So he's giving voice to his cat as as a sort of servant of God.
1: Exactly, but yeah. it's not so long before this, is it, that cats are you know kind of demonised. I mean, we still get this with black cats, don't we? You know, um, black cats being yeah. seen you know, associated. They've got this long-standing association with superstition. Um, and you know, two centuries before Smart, you've got a remarkable prose work <laughs> called Beware the Cat which was uh, written by a printer's assistant called William Baldwin. Uh, it's, it's been called the first English novel. It's a very short prose work of fiction. And it's got talking cats and werewolves and all sorts of things in it. But um, around that time, you know, people in London were hanging cats from lampposts, you know, because of their association right. with witchcraft and things like that. And here it's interesting that he, you know, not only is Geoffrey Godly, but he counteracts the devil. He has morning orisons, mm-hmm. you know, it's like his his very existence, his, mm-hmm. his actions are a prayer, a form of prayer.
3: It's very ritualistic, isn't it? You know, there's this kind of the first thing he does, then the second thing he does, then the third thing, and, and it continues every day in yeah. the same order. It's brilliantly observed. So he
1: also serves who only scratches and stretches. <laughs> and absolutely, I see you was smiling when I said that. Yeah. And leaps yeah. up to catch the scent, to catch the musk, which is yeah. the blessing of God.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I was thinking in, in poetic terms also, it kind of... Um, It's a forerunner of um, Wallace Stevens' 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. Oh, yes. It's a list poem, Mm. and each observation is different but feeds into an overall picture of the subject of the poem. So you've got these ten things that he does every morning, and each one is slightly different, and each one adds to the picture.
1: Yeah, and it's also, it reminded me a bit of a poem we've discussed before on the podcast when we looked at cat poems before, Uh, Emily Dickinson's poem. She cites a bird, she chuckles, and it's about the, the cat hunting the bird. But the uh, the observations are very very specific. You know, they're very uh, they're grounded in careful observation of the way a cat's you know eyes seem to enlarge when it's yeah. fixated upon the prey and things like that, and the way it sort of burrows into the gra- into the grass to conceal itself. And all of that, you get that here. It's not these kind of general <coughs> you know platitudes about no. why a cat is a, a great. It's companion. also um,
3: it's also not mystical and metaphorical doesn't see the cat as a symbol of something it, it actually counts the ways and um and is very closely observed and that means that when you combine that with the the religious stuff about how his existence is a prayer and how he's praising god with all this it it also comes across as mere observation and therefore is yeah. more convincing than if he'd gone off on a, a kind of a long and an abstract interpretation of those movements he simply observes them and says and thereby he is praising god
1: yeah and that
3: adds to the tone of it it has a sort mm. of
0: structure of a rational argument doesn't it i think mm. that as a sort of religious poem it is on that cusp he is sort yeah. of trying making a case yes um, and then that's part of the style of the longer piece from which this is taken mm. i was wondering if that sort of counteracting the devil it i may be sort of just reading it too biographically but i thought is he actually sort of talking about sort of mental health or, or his own sort of struggles mm. being, being counteracted by Geoffrey, especially that beautiful line, brisking about the life. favorite yeah. phrase in, in the poem. So, yeah, do you think the devil there might be sort of talking about his own demons rather than the devil?
1: I wondered about that, especially, um, I think, what both of you have said, that line for he keeps the Lord's watch in the night against the adversary. The mm-hmm. adversary could be the devil. You know, He's keeping the Lord's watch. Mm-hmm. Cats yeah. are nocturnal, though, so it makes sense mm-hmm. for the cat to be up at that. So again, it's the cat's nature. But uh, the adversary could be yeah, his Exality. own private yeah. demons, yeah. if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting, the, the circumstances in which it was written. As Barbara mentioned, um, he was confined at the time uh, for insanity. And um, A. Houseman, in his 1933 lecture, The Name and Nature of Poetry, uh, when he was talking about um, the 18th century, obviously it's known principally for people like Alexander Pope. Uh, until we get to the end, we get Romanticism. It's known for Pope and Swift, and uh, they were very much the Augustan yeah. heroic yeah. couplets and this very kind of yeah. uh, metrically regular, very precise, um, ordered poetry, I suppose. Um, and uh, Smart doesn't really fit into that at all. You know, yeah, I mean, this is just free us, really. yeah, this is free exactly. Yeah, there's no
3: mm. meter, there's no rhyme. Exactly. And really the only organising structure is that each line starts with the word four. Yes,
1: yeah. Um, and um, Houseman makes the point that um, the four poets of the 18th century who kind of most speak to us in, you know, uh, as it were, the contemporary voice of poetry in the 20th century when Houseman was writing were Christopher Smart, Collins, uh, Cooper, William Cooper, and Blake. They right. he said, what do they all have in common? They were all mad. Which is right. a really interesting idea that, you know, yes. the ones who actually wrote what, you know, Houseman's idea of poetry was weren't the people mm-hmm. like Pope and who kind of embody that age. They were the in a way the outsiders. Well mm.
0: yes, I mean it's worth pointing out that this wasn't published for a long time. Yes. It wasn't actually published until nineteen thirty nine when it was found in a private library. And I, I do wonder if the conditions in which it um, was written do feed into its relative um, freedom, its sort of break from poetic tradition, because who was Smart actually writing this for? Mm. I would imagine at this point, he doesn't know if he's ever coming out of that asylum. Yeah. So it, he's probably just writing to God yeah. at this point, I think. So and I think that does um, have this sort of liberating effect on the work, mm. It is it is like the cat for itself rather than to impress anyone particularly. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the way it reads. There's yeah. no implied
3: reader here. No. He's not trying to impress a publisher. He's not trying to play political games like you mm. know, a Pope or a Swift might. Mm. He's not trying to set up a career as you know eventually the poet laureate or anything mm. like that. It, it really is observational mm. and, and, and contemplation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. As you, as you say, this wasn't published uh, until 1939, long, long after his death. And in his lifetime, I suppose he was known for poems like um, "Song to David," and in fact, you can see the Mm -hmm. influence, I think, of the Psalms, the biblical Mm -hmm. Psalms of Mm -hmm. David here. In as Kerry mentioned, the uh, the four for this he performed, and and Mm -hmm. that anaphora, if you will, of the you know that's uh, and the free verse. And it's interesting that somebody like Will Whitman in the 19th century has that kind of free verse innovation, again kind of influenced by things like the Psalms, with no knowledge of Smart's poem. No, that's interesting. But Smart's if you, got there first. If you
3: took out some of the more obvious religious references and said this is Whitman poem, yeah. you mm. could believe in. Whitman would feature more in the poem if it was. Whitman's yeah. <laughs> poem is, is directly or indirectly about
1: Whitman. Uh, for eleventhly, he <laughs> <who> serves Whitman. <laughs> yeah. So, um, shall we turn from cats to dogs and pet dogs? And we'll, we'll come a, a bit closer to uh, the present, or only uh, only by a century or so, to um, Thomas Hardy. Now, Thomas Hardy did write a poem about a pet cat. He wrote a number of poems about. Um, the family pets. There was a poem called Last Words to a Dumb Friend, yes, which is uh, yes. quite, a, quite a moving poem about the cat, that, uh, the family. Um, but I've got here a, a popular personage at home, which is about his dog, which was called, uh, unsurprisingly perhaps, Wessex. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Wessie, as it was known affectionately to the family. He had a number of cats. One, one the favourite cat that he had, I think, was uh, called Kidley Wink which is a great, <laughs> great name, name for a cat. cat. <laughs> or, or Trot for short. But the, the dog was called Wessex, and of course Hardy. I think Hardy's it's incredible Wessex.
3: Incredible! But the guy who wrote *Jude the Obscure*, in which children <laughs> commit suicide because there are too many of them, had a cat called Winkle Winkleboobs. That yeah. doesn't really shine through in the prose, does yeah, it? Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just made me
0: think? My landlord who had a dog called Bentley, which told you quite a lot about his priorities. <laughs> <What>?
1: mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, your your pet's name says a but lot. We should I do about a whole personally.
0: podcast on uh, pet names, but um...
1: but yeah, uh, so Wessex uh, was the dog's name, and um, he actually uh, what I like about this poem is he actually gives a voice to the dog. Uh, the dog Wessex actually speaks. Um, So um, this is a, a popular personage at home. I live here, Wessex is my name. I am a dog known rather well. I guard the house, but how that came to be, my whim, I cannot tell. With a leap and a heart elate, I go, at the end of an hour's expectancy, to take a walk of a mile or so, with the folk I let live here with me. Along the path, amid the grass, I sniff and find out rarest smells for rolling over as I pass the open fields towards the dells. No doubt I shall always cross this sill and turn the corner and stand steady, gazing back for my mistress till she reaches where I have run already, and that this meadow with its brook and bulrush, even as it appears as I plunge by with hasty look, will stay the same a thousand years. Thus Wessex. But a dubious ray at times informs his steadfast eye, just for a trice, as though to say, Yet yeah, will this pass, and pass shall I? It's interesting he kind of gives the dog, yeah. you know, sentience and uh, kind of almost an awareness of its own mortality at the end. and So it becomes very hardy esque, <laughs> very, yes, it uh, does, very ty- yeah. typically hardy at it's the end.
0: It's a very sort of melancholy, sort of contemplative turn, whether I'm convinced dogs do muse much on their own mortality. I don't know.
1: I don't think so. We get the Victorian uh,
0: Yeah uh,
1: habit of kind of yeah I
0: think as a as a, as a dog owner I one of the things that sort of brings you joy is that their sheer sort of unself consciousness mm,
1: is, is quite
0: Yeah, yeah relaxing, dogs don't theorize
3: and that's one of the great things about them. But I mean he's Wessex here is obviously a lost British identity as well, isn't it? Yeah, the fear mm. that that kind of cultural identity will fall into the into history and not not be seen again, and all of the things like the grass, the dell, the bulrush, the meadow that respectfully that that, that kind of represent represent that image of a particular mm. kind of England may one day pass
1: away as well as the dog in its own. And Hardy knows all, all too well about that. You know, there's that scene in um, a pair of blue eyes, his early novel, where um, one of the characters Henry Knight dangling over a cliff and he sees the uh, fossil of a trilobite embedded oh, yeah. there in the rock, you know. And so Hardy's kind of one of the first great writers, I suppose, in English, to be aware of that really, the, the long lens of history mm. and prehistory like that, and the idea that actually, yeah, the very landscape would eventually change. Yeah, and
3: industrialisation, and, and mm. the change of the, the rural, you know, yeah. the, the way that the rural is kind of, tainted by it yeah there's that
0: sort of uh, scene in Tess of the Derbables isn't there with the threshing machine and they're all mm. sort of all the all the villagers are sort of feeding this sort of rapacious machine yeah. and it's yeah. sort of very physically demanding work and yeah it does seem to be definitely a kind of wider comment on sort of mechanisation of the countryside yeah
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah I think also I think um, I know I'm picking holes in this dog's personality, reading it far too literally. <laughs> but the idea of you know the dog permitting others to live—that
1: sounds in, much more like a cat. Much more it? like yeah, a cat. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. I think I think any, any sort of cat owner will sort of you know feel that they are there under sufferance for, or only there for as long as they can be useful to their cat. whereas yeah. A dog, you know, mm. you get home, that dog is very excited mm. to see you. It's yeah. great every every day. He's quite
3: sure
1: of himself, right until that final stanza. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's, it's real about-turn, uh, is kind it?
3: of, I own these streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're right. I
1: think you know, the name coincidence you know, it's Wessex, the, yeah. the place, as well as, you know, the, the Wessex, the dog. It's very much about yeah. mm-hmm. the, the identity of that part of England.
0: Yeah, and also just um, if someone is named after a place, usually they're part of the aristocracy, right? Yeah, well. uh, yeah. So it's got that kind of lordly yes. mm. lordly sort of association mm. when when a name of the thing. So it's mm-hmm. sort of, yes.
1: Do you know that this is completely off topic um, and probably won't make the final cut, <laughs> but do you know the rumour about the Earl of Wessex, the title, uh, the aristocratic Earl of Wessex. Earl of Wessex. The last, well, the last but one Earl of Wessex until recently was um, Harold II, who famously was killed at the Battle of Hastings in 1066. That Harold. That Harold. (laughs) (laughs) And um, uh, after that, it passed to the Norman. You know, one of the Norman supporters of um, uh, William the Conqueror. But then, when he died, the the title died. Um, And it was in 1999, I think, they brought it back for um, Prince Mm. Edward, Mm. the royal family. Um, and um, there is a rumour that the title came back because there was a film the year before in which a completely unhistorical... Is that Shakespeare in Love? <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare in Love, Colin Firth. Yeah. yeah,
0: for one kiss I would defy a thousand Wessexes. Exactly. I, I know that film, Molly. <laughs> <And he> obviously he <laughs> yeah. was a completely
1: fictional character, there was no Earl of Wessex in the Elizabethan era, um, but the rumour is that um, Edward and the royal family, they liked that film, and they said, oh, you know, we need to give you a title. And what, they not just like that. Title there? I like that. So yeah, so, yeah. Keep um, that in. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, thinking about um, uh, dog poems, in fact, I think Kerry, you've got a couple of. Them. I have a couple of absolutely, um, absolutely brilliant
3: dog poems here. Um, this is from an anthology called "The Dog in British Poetry" mm. by R. Maynard Leonard, and it's actually a nineteenth-century collection. Yeah, um, first published in eighteen ninety-three and is very mm. much of its time. Um, it's amazing how many of the dogs in these poems die in order that we can lament the fact that are <laughs> <and our laughs> no more. These are largely not cheerful dog poems, and even the narrative ones, uh, if it's not the dog that dies, it's the thing that the dog has killed
2: mm. that dies, because we're
3: going hunting. But there are a couple of... Uh, of. Um, I mean, I think this is an interesting one to... Think about in relation to to Geoffrey the Cat uh, and, and the religious uh, side of it. So this is um, by Elliot, not the T.S. Elliot. Uh, my Only Friends. <laughs> my heart grows sick when home I come. May God the thought forgive. If t'were not for my cat and dog, I think I could not live. My cat and dog, when I come home, run out to welcome me. She, mewing with her tail on end, while wagging his, comes he. They listen for my homeward steps, my smothered sob they hear, When down my heart sinks, deathly down, Because my home is near. Why come they not? They do not come, my breaking heart to meet. A heavier darkness on me falls, I cannot lift my feet. Oh yes, they come, they never fail to listen for my sighs. My poor heart brightens when it meets the sunshine of their eyes. Again they come to meet me, God wilt thou the thought forgive, If twere not for my cat and dog, I think I could not live my playful cat and honest dog are all the friends I have
0: <laughs> was that written by a grown up
3: <laughs> that was written before online dating
2: <laughs> <laughs> i got a bit lost
0: at it's the end so the different... the cat and the dog are now in heaven and they're waiting for him there is that
3: no i think it's just that he's so sad and depressed that he fears that they haven't come to meet him but actually they have it's just, oh, okay. just to add a bit of drama. In the oh, the the, oh, I
0: see. It's just a bit of jeopardy.
3: But
1: here we have the cat and dog living happily side by side.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: And Faithful the... cat and honest dog. I mean, that, that is very, yeah. that, again, going back to the, the, the kind of very generic. Uh,
0: and the gender um, traditions observed as well. Yeah. tend to refer to cats as she and dogs yeah. as he. Mm.
3: And instead of the cat being a representative of God and being in the equivalent of prayer, these are his salvation because God has abandoned him. Mm. so miserable. Even when he's coming home, he has a heavy heart, he can barely walk and if it wasn't for the cat and the dog, Mm. he wouldn't be able to live because there is no religious, you know.
0: You just made me feel quite mean now for being so scathing. I mean, I do, yeah, it is, it is emotive, you know, and I think, yeah, it takes us back to the idea of mental health and pets. I,
1: I, I can say, it has lasted in a way, I think, in that it, you can see that adorning a card of some kind, a greetings <laughs> card. <laughs> you certainly can. <laughs> yes. I don't know what kind of greetings card it Well, you we can make one.
0: <laughs> yes. Probably not for someone whose cat's just died. No, one. exactly,
1: that's what I was thinking, yeah, it'd be yeah. a bit insensitive. Do you want another one? Oh, yeah.
3: yes, please. This is about a depressed dog. Right. It's by Bowles. Um, In this case, it's it's a switch show because rather than the animal cheering up the human, it's the human that has to cheer the dog up. Uh, interesting. Yeah, so this is Grown Old Together. The dog and I are both grown old. On these wild downs we watch all day. He looks in my face when the wind blows cold and thus methinks I hear him say, The grey stone circlet is below, the village smoke is at our feet. We nothing here but the sailing crow and wandering flocks that roam and bleat. Far off, the early horseman hies in shower or sunshine, rushing on. Yonder the dusty whirlwind flies, the distant coach is seen and gone. Though solitude around is spread, Master, alone thou shalt not be, And when the turf is on thy head, I only shall remember thee. I marked his look of faithful care, and placed my hand on his shaggy side. There is a sun that shines above. A sun that shines on both, I cried.
1: Well, we get the sun again, don't we? Yes. Which we get in the Cat Jeffrey. There we go. Yeah. The, the dog is worrying about what's going to happen
3: to to his owner when he dies because everything is passing them by. And it's the owner who has to remind the yeah. dog that the sun is shining on both of us, man and beast. Hmm. It's much more cheerful at the end.
1: Yes, yeah. I think you. I'm getting the sense that you you chose two of the, surprisingly, (laughs) the more cheerful and uplifting ones. Yes, absolutely.
0: There's a hell of a lot of projection maybe going on in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's cheering up a sad dog is a, a sad task. I think because they have this, they're always so... Usually a dog is a very joyful thing, so when they're and sad... a very hungry thing. Yeah, mm,
2: and, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: and joy in, in food as well. So yeah. when they're sad, it really does cut, as it clearly does for this this poet. But yes, I do wonder. It was very typical of its time, that like you say. Mm, mm, uh, yeah,
3: Absolutely. They're, they're, they've all got a kind of melancholy about them. Mm. Yeah. That, the, that we and our pets will all pass away and they're going to go first and we're going to be sad about mm-hmm. it.
1: Melon border collie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. On that note. I think we should just stop there, to be honest. I was, was, was going to go with yeah. the, the black dog of depression as yes, well. Absolutely. No, we were not
0: Melon
1: What have I done to my guests? Melon border collie. Yeah. <laughs> um... Talking of dogs, I mean, it'd be interesting to, you know, tot up, you know, among the um, the great and the good of English poets, which was more popular, the cat or the dog? Uh, Byron, of course, had a dog, uh, Boson, <laughs> yes, <of course. laughs> um, who he wrote a poem about. Um, and there's a memorial to him, isn't there? Yes, yeah. Um, and um, uh, he didn't just have a dog, in fact he couldn't have a dog somewhere.
0: Mm, That's right, yes. So when Byron was a student at Trinity College, Cambridge, the college statutes forbid you bringing your dog to university. Um, So Byron decided to get round this by purchasing a tame bear, a bear, uh, which he then used to take for walks around the grounds on on a chain. Mm. He was very fond of this bear. Um, and he actually tried to get it enrolled a- as a student um, <laughs> so you know this was obviously is a very kind of typical Lord Byron as we know a very glamorous sort of ostentatious figure mm. um, but there does seem to be evidence that he did actually sort of really it wasn't just just a stunt he did he did care for this yeah bit, it really enjoyed its company um, I, I love
3: this because I think, <coughs> I think that the whole thing is, I mean, he st- obviously started a trend, which still exists to this day. A lot of our students have bears, well, of Loughborough, yeah. yes. <laughs> but Loughborough is a campus university. <laughs> and it's so much easier to take a bear for a walk on a campus. Oh yeah. And it is exactly. in a collegial place like Oxford or Cambridge. If you have a pet bear, comes... come to Loughborough. Yeah, be... yeah um
0: <laughs> yes largest campus in Western Europe. I there you go, plenty yeah. yeah. of space for yeah. the bear yeah. space. Yeah. 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 What I really like about this as well is it's like, I just think often when you think about poets, you might think of them in the abstract and you always think of them as being quite sort of monumental or grand. I hear Byron's done that and I think, what a student.
2: Yeah. yeah it's such a student <laughs> move, you know, you just
0: sort of look for the loophole, you mm-hmm. know, you look you're like, all right, fine then, I'm going to bring my bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think of, um, I mean, he wasn't actually at um, Trinity for very long, um, but when he was... Obliged to leave, he did take the bear with him as well. So, well, you would though, conscience. wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're yeah, going to
3: get your deposit um... back after you've cleaned your flat, yeah, yeah, leave a bear. No, behind no. you, you take it away with you along with the empty bottles
1: and half <laughs> yeah, <yeah. the> <laughs> a drunk. bottle of milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. No, you grin and bear it. I, can, I, I feel f- I, I need to take full responsibility for these uh, puns that are emerging. Mm. You um,
0: should, yeah, uh, um, yeah. So, but I think I like the fact that. Byron clearly cared about the bear, even though obviously it was sort of mainly done as a sort of defiant gesture. And he doesn't actually have a great reputation for caring for people, um, so I think that's kind of a nice side of his personality. He didn't much care for
1: lambs, did he? <laughs>
0: no. Lady Caroline. No. Sorry. Oh, oh <laughs> no! Oh, he did it again. Oh.
1: Um, but um, there is a long tradition of um, not just having a yeah a dog or a cat, isn't there? There's a long tradition of having a whole sort of menagerie of
0: yeah. I a, think it's this idea, isn't it? That I mean. More recently, we sort of think about certain animals being kind of status symbols like a couple of years ago. It, it seemed to be the fashion to have a tiny, tiny little dog like Paris Hilton. Oh, yes, tiny
3: dogs, but also tiny pigs, teacup pigs. Oh, yes, of yeah.
0: yeah, the micro pig thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you get these sort of, um, and also, you know, and more kind of serious issues of like, overbreeding so the dogs look um, you know particularly the pugs (coughs) they can't breathe and that kind of thing if you look at
3: um, 19th century photographs of uh, German shepherds they look completely different from Mm. the contemporary Mm. German shepherd which has kind of Bandy legs and, and odd shaped elbows and stuff. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. yeah. The, the dog has been transformed. Evelyn yeah.
0: Moore wrote about this as well in his autobiography because they had a poodle at home um, when they were growing up, and he said it was huge. You know, it was absolutely
3: enormous. Mm, yes. poodle. Yeah, so right. poodle is it? Yeah,
0: An yeah. absolutely enormous. And his mum used to spend quite a lot of time, kind of, you know washing its fur and kind of washing yeah. this dog and it was nearly as big as she was you know sort of just under her armpit um yeah um i've got another sort of anecdote here actually because um not many people know that evelyn war's very first book was a biography of the painter and poet dg Rossetti mm. of the pre-raphaelite school uh, and he has this sort of quite um It's quite a tongue-in-cheek kind of witty book. You can sort of see where his later um, sort of anarchic fiction comes from in Mm. it. Um, um, One of my sort of favourite passages in this um, very first book of his is about Rossetti's menagerie of pets. Um, Do you want me to read a little bit about what he says? Okay, so he says, um, He had at one time and another a Pomeranian puppy called Punch, an Irish wolfhound called Wolf, original two brown (laughs) owls called jenny and bobby some rabbits dormice hedgehogs white mice squirrels a mole a chameleon some salamanders a deer a wallaby some kangaroos two wombats a canadian marmot a woodchuck an armadillo a raccoon a brahmin bull a jackass and numerous birds including peacocks chinese horned owls talking gray parrots a raven and a grass parakeet (laughs) these lived a life of conflict and depredation in and about the house and gardens and those of his neighbours now there's a story or two there I'm sure (laughs) the armadillo disappeared for several weeks and suddenly reappeared through the floor of a basement kitchen some distance away to the great alarm of the cook who opined that if it was not the devil there was no knowing what it was The deer stamped out all the tail feathers of the peacock, who in turn made so much noise that a clause was in future introduced into all the leases on the Cadogan estate, forbidding them to be kept in the neighbourhood. The raccoon was particularly ferocious and destructive. (laughs) I just... I think just the sort of yeah, I mean, you get sort of wars amazing prose coming through there. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's just so um, acerbic. I think I'm, I'm getting a um, sense
1: of what it must be like in Brian Blatter's house. If he's got all of these animals. <laughs> you just think, you know, how do they mm. how do they live together? This is not the dog
0: and cat sort of living in happy harmony. Is no. it? This is um, you know sort of a real battle going on. Um, and he does go on to say that um, he doesn't seem to be um, personally attached to any of these pets, except perhaps the first of the wombats. He met their frequent deaths and disappearances with fortitude. Um, Mm. Some indeed died or disappeared almost the moment they were acquired, and some, such as the Brahmin bull, which Rossetti bought for £20 at Cremon Gardens because it had eyes that reminded him of one of his muses, proved quite... Unmanageable. Well, imagine that. Imagine the, the, this bull that you've brought into mm. your home. I mean, not, clearly Byron didn't have a problem with the bear, though. He's obviously made of stone.
1: No, a tame bear. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that
0: was a problem. You should have bought a tame bull. A tame bull. And then, was, then yeah, everything no would have been fine. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I think it's well. Rossetti's another poet who's sort of known for being very kind of flamboyant yeah. and, and dramatic, and clearly he's got the accoutrement Was that.
1: He, yeah, was he the yeah. one who um, toyed with getting an elephant, or at least put it about that he wanted to get an elephant um, so he could use it to wash his upper windows? I be could Reading that, I can quite believe that yeah. that was
0: true. Whether or not it worked is another question.
1: Well, it's interesting the brown owls that have names, Jenny and Bobby, are separate from the, the rest of the birds later on. Uh, I don't know, were they particularly prized, I wonder? Yeah. I wonder if they're
0: from a different period of life, maybe. Ah, uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you might have got the other ones as a sort of job lot later on. Yeah, because it does kind yeah.
1: of start off quite, oh, oh, that's interesting, oh, that, you know, like or a couple of dogs, you've got a puppy. Mm-hmm. It oh, starts small is. and then... You know, blah. sometimes
0: if you start collecting something, then everyone thinks you like that thing and suddenly you've got a house full of, you know, ice cream ornaments <laughs> yeah. or, <you> know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we used to drive a VW camper, so people bought us lots of sort of camper van sort of salt cellars and yeah. you know money boxes you yeah. know. <laughs> no no so i don't know if that's like that with the animals you get a dog and someone thinks oh they like animals I'll yeah a, a talking parakeet i
1: get a lot of cat things i don't actually own a i cat, think you encourage that I think, I think that is on you i think on i do
2: you.
1: yeah it well, kind of escalates
3: it doesn't he yeah you know, we start yeah. with relatively you know obvious things like puppies and dogs and and then we go for some fairly tame rodent type, you know, rabbits and dormice. Mm. But by the end of the list we've got a Brahmin bull and a jackass, and yeah. then he moves on to the to the mm. birds. So he is deliberately listing this in order that we kind of get more and more shocked.
0: And I just sort of like the kind of dry observations about the effect on the surrounding area. I mean, was it also the Also got um, another animal. Yeah, yeah. the, the armadillo <laughs> you know, sort of like, yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. I, th- I can see a lot of parallels with sort of modern behaviour of certain celebrities clearly encouraging a particular vision of themselves. Mm. And I think there's a real contrast there with the sort of the close affection that we were describing the, at the top of the podcast about sort of um, our poets. Like, yes, in the Jeffrey poem, but e- even the kind of sentimental Victorians, you know, mm. it might be, who um, are actually kind of contemporaneous. Very close romantic.
3: relationships, personal relationships. Very, yeah. yeah. They're not show pets.
0: No, not at all. Um, but these certainly suggested
3: yeah, these are just running amok. Yeah. Then randomly reminds me of um, a Woody Allen piece in which he discusses Emily Dickinson, uh-huh. where he says...
0: You're going to have to carry on quickly because I'm imagining all sorts of things. Emily, Emily, <laughs> well, Emily Pulling Dickinson's. the tails, tail feathers out of a peacock. And no, no, Emily Dickinson's
3: poem says that uh, hope is the thing with feathers. Mm, yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. Woody Allen says that the thing with feathers turns out to be his brother-in-law who believes he's a woodchuck. uh, (laughs) I've always loved the idea of somebody who genuinely believed he was a woodchuck covering himself with feathers
0: If you do believe you're a woodchuck, I think you've got to commit, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah You're not going to convince anyone unless you go through with it No, if I walk into a room and say that I believe I'm a woodchuck people will think I'm a bit half-hearted about (laughs) it Mm, Yeah,
0: yeah, whereas if you come in with the feathers, we'll say
1: You've got to be a master of persuasion, I think, without any accoutrements Uh, at all Well, I think you should be able (laughs)
3: We walk into the room and people say to themselves, "Ah, he believes he's a woodchuck," without actually having to
1: tell them. Mm. You know, if you have to explain it, then you really haven't exactly. Gone yeah. From. Now, in a change from what we usually do at this point in the show, um, one from the vaults where we uh, discuss uh, a poet who has perhaps been uh, forgotten, unduly, uh, and lost in the mists of time, we're going to actually be talking about um, a couple of. Poets who are bang up to date. Contemporary poets. Debut poets. Just been discovered. Never. Just been discovered. Yeah, Haven't had time to be forgotten. No, no. And uh, not more than that, they are both uh, Loughborough graduates, but aren't they?
3: They certainly are. Shall I introduce the first one? Yes, please. Um, some listeners may know that Loughborough University hosts the Overton Poetry Prize, which is an international poetry competition for um, a sequence of poems. And the prize is that we publish that sequence as a pamphlet. And this year we were amazed to discover that the winner was one of our former students. We judge this anonymously, the poet in residence judges this every year. And when we found out who the poet was that we'd chosen, um, it's Natalie Moores, who graduated in 2011, has since continued writing and performing, runs her own branding agency, which she co-founded, and wrote this... um, amazing little pamphlet called Single Girl Lies Hidden, Mm. which is available to purchase from the website. It's a short collection of six or seven poems, which is very much about the Me Too hashtag, the experience of um, sexual discrimination and sexual violence experienced by more women than should be the case. And it talks about Nat's experiences and and it's incredibly brave poetry, but Mm. it's also quite brilliant So I'll read the final poem. The twist, I guess, at the end of of the collection in which the poet starts on the road to recovery and starts to appreciate things about herself that she thought she'd lost. So um, this is the final poem from the sequence called Single Girl Lies Hidden for Three Days. She had the imprint of a Lego brick on the sole of her foot that he'd left lying around in the gaps between texts. Dull purple stitching traced the back of her hands and mapped all the worst things she'd thought about herself that she'd put into his words and slipped under her skin. She searched her small intestine to try and find what was left of her smile, thinking shards of cracked lips must have slipped down there in the chaos. Her throat strangled itself under the strain of waiting to find the right words to explain away his behaviour and muster up something other than she wasn't good enough. She felt around in the rubble for her breath, which stretched the tight muscles between her ribs. She stroked her soft, new, tender skin, wakening, reminding it that it's alive. She held her own hand and marvelled at its complexity and how much it could say in the shallow trenches of her fingertips. Slowly, sprawling in the dirt but with infinite care, she brought herself to perfection. Mm. Well, that's incredibly powerful writing. Yeah. And that's the final poem. The final yeah. poem. And that, that final couplet, sprawling in the dirt, but with infinite care, she brought herself to perfection. Mm-hmm. Is that absolute determination to recover and to be be your, your own person again. Yeah. Everything, which is just superb. It's yeah, and the use of I the know. body
1: as well. And the, the fact so it ends physical. with the hand, the writing, you know, yeah. the, the thing you can use to to write yes, with, to absolutely. give yourself a, yeah. a voice.
3: Yeah. In the second stanza, she talks about the back of our hands being covered with a dull purple stitching, which maps all the worst things about herself. Mm-hmm. But in that penultimate bit, she looks at her own hand and sees how complex it is and what it can do for yeah. her. Yeah. So this kind of evolution of negative imagery into positive and into potential and possibility. Yeah, so that's great. just the
1: turn of the hand like that. Yeah, yes. exactly.
0: The... And there's a real sort of visceral um, thread through the whole collection, yeah. I think, and... By talking about the hands and and skin, particularly in the last one, you know, it has that sort of real kind of um, connection to touch Mm. all the way through and all all that that implies about the body.
3: In positive and negative ways and being touched Mm. and and all those kinds of um, issues around control. Mm. Um, But yes, I mean, searching her small intestine for what was left of her smile. Mm. Everything that has been buried and pushed inside and needs to come back to the surface. It's incredibly powerful work.
0: Mm. It's a real privilege to hear Natalie um, read her poetry. Uh, She came when we um, announced the winner of the poetry prize here a month, two months ago, not very long ago. Nat came
3: and launched her work and and read from it and Mm. and read quite brilliantly.
0: Yeah, Mm. absolutely fantastic. And inspiringly, we had um, a lot of our um, writing students came along and one of them said to us afterwards, wow. I didn't know poetry could be like that,
2: Yeah,
0: to have so many young women in the audience to hear her and yeah. the other poets who we were reading on the night as well was, um, you know, it's it really special to be part of.
1: I think that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? Poetry is, so for so many people, you think it's, you know, oh, it's not for me. But, yeah. you know, poetry, that's like saying, you know, that food's not for me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Certain types yeah. of food might not be to your taste, but you know there's a poem out there for everyone and poems can be about anything and why can't they be about your experience no absolutely and i I think um i think the way that the
3: writing and what nat the way that nat read it communicates that all of that Mm. really opened some eyes you know this was not some some dead text on a page this Mm. was lived experience that somebody was you know crafting in quite a brilliant way and communicating and, and people's eyes were really opened weren't they
0: yeah mm. yeah and i think it's worth noting there's quite a lot of humor <clears> in the <throat> poems as well which is one one reason why they work so well when when read aloud it's contrast in them as well it's not unlike the kind of victorian poetry we were discussing earlier it's not all kind of maudlin or mel- mm. melancholic at no, all it's no, actually very there's a, lot, and there's sure. a lot of wit yes. in there um, well, she's even, a very funny writer yeah mm-hmm.
3: she is should we move on to a second example from one of our students yes yeah. um so this is shruti chauhan who um is also one of our graduates and her debut collection has just been published by burning eye and i like like that had the the pleasure of working with uh, shruti while she wrote some of these poems and um i've got one here that it's very much about lived experience and, and finding something quite sort of unusual in the, in the mundane and the banal. Mm. Uh, and it's, she's, a, she's a local writer based in Leicester, and this is about a local location. This is Beaumont-Lee's library on the edge of Leicester, where Shruti used to work as a library assistant. Buh. So, And the title of the poem is 62P, the significance of which will be revealed mm-hmm. as they go on. So 62P, Beaumont-Lee's library. It's two o'clock or three Gilded shafts of light streak across the blush carpet floor, the place is hushed, the post-school rush still a while away. An old couple lingers in the large print aisle, and a father feeds a story to the toddler on his knees. I'm at the front desk, stapling paper, when I hear that well-known slow squeak of rubber soles. Hi, Cathy. Cathy's thirty-eight, a miss, comes in Tuesdays, mostly unnoticed. The same bobbled mustard jumper the mousy, neck-length hair wedged behind her ears. Her hazel eyes are always speechless. She doesn't say much, but when she does, she can't believe the words are hers. She hands me the Frozen DVD for sale. That's one pound, please. Kathy dumps a plastic bag of pennies on the counter, fishes one night, and slides it to the side. One, she breathes, lines etched across her brow. Two... Three four Kathy, can I help? No, I'll do it myself. Five, six, seven, eight. By now a fretful cue is taking shape. Mothers clutching picture books, glaring at watches, then at Kathy. Fifteen. Sixteen. Parents shaking their heads, babies threatening to cry. I apologise, steer them to another computer, scan stamp books as quickly as I can. In between, I glance at Cathy, 29, 30. When I'm done, I'm hurried to her, the counting has stopped. How much have you got? 38p. She looks at me, not quite comprehending. That's not enough, Cathy. She stares hard at the pennies she's laid down like a honeycomb. How much do I need? 62p and she starts again from scratch. One, two. A line forms once more. I need to tell her to stop. Nine, ten. You don't have enough, Kathy, but she won't hear me. Then suddenly, excuse me, a ponytailed brunette calls me over. How much does she need? 62p. She slips it into my palm, beams, and is gone. I make my way back to Cathy, scoop up her coins and tell her you can have the DVD. A lady's just given you 62p. Cathy gapes, can't speak, but her ever-silent eyes glisten. Tell a thousand things of kindness she's never known, or considered could be her own. She leaves and I'm left wondering, aren't we all crying out for just 62p? Very good. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. So, such good observation you really feel the library and all the different people in there and why they're in there and what they're doing and then you mm. focus on this individual character Yeah, and the, the control of rhyme and pace is very different from Nat's work that we heard a moment ago but uh, the internal rhymes here of uh, shafts and blush and hushed and post-school rush mm. yeah. much more densely playing with sound than, than Nat's work but then also she plays with the pace because as Cathy's counting this one, two, three, four, five, six you, you slow down so there's complete contrast between the really fast flowing descriptions of the library and then the really slow.
1: Yeah, and I think again benefits from being heard read aloud, doesn't yeah. it? Because you you get that that uh, shift in the, the tempo, as it were, and you you can feel the you know the um, the, the the tension in the mm. library. You know yeah. these people waiting behind, yeah. and you know kind of uh, knowing she's not have you know, she's not going to have enough and. Yeah, and, a, and then you get that moment of kindness. Yes, at the end, which, which the, switches everything. Yeah, and
3: Shruti is very much a performance poet, and and Burning Eye is a press that specialises in uh, collections by people whose reputation is mostly as a performance poet. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this work does really repay being read out loud because that's its original form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and obviously I love the detail of of this frozen DVD, which is so banal and it's only worth a pound yeah. and it becomes this yeah. thing of such focus and such value and such concentration
1: but again yeah kind of fairy tale as well you, yeah. Know, yeah. And, you know contrasted with the you know this um, lady who comes in with yeah. the same jumper all the time yeah. Yeah, it's that incongruity to to isn't attendees.
0: it and just this idea it makes you think you know what what's she gonna do with that dvd is it for her is it for someone else yeah. will she watch it every day Mm. does she actually just want to buy something Mm. um i think but it's also a real kind of hymn to the the value of the library (laughs) just just you know because you've you've, it's a safe place for people like that to come and be well the
3: old couple who need the large print Mm. the father who needs to tell a story to his toddler the post-school rush will be the kids coming in to do their homework Mm. and so it goes on yeah and the printing
0: and the scanning you know people coming in to do all kinds of things in there and the fact that actually the young girl at the end who gives the 62p i mean how many situations would she be in where she's in the same environment as someone yeah yes absolutely Mm -hmm. no that it it is
3: there for everybody and you can see that you know all of human life is there. Yeah, yeah. it's kind
1: of, kind of like yeah. a community hub. Well, you that's know? the thing. It, it says, you know, together. sort of
0: crying out for 62p and it seems so insignificant. And yes, yeah, sometimes the things that libraries deal with, you know, it might be sort of a tiny bit of money here, it's a book here, it's mm. a book there, it's yep. one, one sheet of A4, but for some people, it means absolutely
2: everything. Mm. Mm.
1: So yeah, no, a very powerful poem though. So that's from Shruti's debut. Yes, so congratulations
3: to Natalie Moores for, mm. for winning the Overton Prize and That uh, Single Girl Lies Hidden published by Wordsmith HQ and Shruti Chauhan's um, This Voice, uh, no it's not This Voice.
0: That Which Can Be Heard.
3: That Which Can Be Heard. Thank mm. you very much. <laughs> published by Burning Eye. So two debuts rather than Two From the Vaults. <laughs>
1: And uh, finally, um, we come to our regular section, So Bad It's Good, where we uh, pick some of the poems that we find uh, oddly amusing uh, and noteworthy, sometimes for the wrong reasons. They might be technically maladroit, they might uh, take on an unusual subject and treat it in a rather unconventional way. Um, Sticking with the theme of today's podcast, Poets and Their Pets, um, we're going to talk about T.S. Eliot's Cats
0: oh yeah so this is both good and bad um dr oliver tell here some of you may know is, is something of an expert on elliot's more famous work the wasteland um sort of a monumental modernist poem sort of quoted everywhere you know very profound observations about life and europe post world war one elliot also published a book in 1939 called old possum's book of Practical Cats, Mm. um, which he wrote for his godchildren and features a cast of Cats.
1: And it's the same year, 1939. Yes, as,
0: uh, as um, Christopher Smart was eventually published. Yeah. So two quite quite different sort of takes on the cat happening hmm. it wasn't, in that um, year.
3: Wasn't old Possum Ezra Pound's nickname for him? Yes,
1: it? that's right, the idea of playing Possum. Yeah. 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 And of course, during the course of the war, Ezra
3: Pound will be broadcasting from Italy and eventually be locked up in an asylum for it. So the war is oh. going to go very differently for Elliot and Pound. Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. and um, the future has some very strange things in store for these cats as well. Yeah. Mm. So um, I'm not going to talk too much about Old Possum's book particularly, I think, because actually what people now know of this book is through the musical, it eventually became mm. Cats. Now, what they, what is there to say about Cats, the musical? Um, I like T.S. Eliot and I really like musicals hate cats. Absolutely hate it. I find there's something about a sort of cast and it's a sung through musical. Yeah. There's there's, there's no there's no sort of dialogue Mm. (laughs) to kind of break this up. And it's sort of, you know, humans dressed as cats, but in a kind of, you know, show way. So Mm. they've got the full makeup on and they're kind of moving like dancers. And I don't know, I just find it weird and kind of, you know, I love camp. I don't love this camp. Mm, yeah, There's something and, and not, about this not camp just, I just <laughs> yeah, go on. And, on and, it. Well, oh. not just
1: reading the old possums poems either. You know, p- people know McCavity, the mystery cat, yeah. Buster for Jones, and yeah. so. on. But yeah. there, there are some of Elliot's so-called you know serious poems, yeah, contrasted with the the kind of nonsense poems that are used as the, the the lyrics for some of the songs. Yes, so, you know, Memory is a classic example. Oh, I
0: know. You
1: know, Rhapsody yeah. on a Windy Night, the Elliot poem, and yeah. yeah, seeing somebody dressed up as a just as a
0: cat. <laughs> Of singing this plaintive melody, that's kind of like a human is a cat. <laughs> you may have noticed it. I, you know, I've got a bit of a problem with sort of you know, kind of projecting human emotions on onto the animals that we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. I like, mm, really, I don't think dogs really think that. Yeah. And I think you do. That's animals.
1: been shining through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think you do. Animals a disservice when you kind of present them in human terms like but I that. think you
3: also do humans a disservice yeah, when you, you dress them up. As everyone, cats. Yeah.
0: everyone is done a disservice by this. This, this horror and, you know, I think, you know, Greg James on Radio 1 does his popular opinion. Mine is that I cannot stand cats. I cannot stand anything about it. But I know that there are people out there who disagree with me. And actually this year it will be turned into a film. And I can't believe the cast that they're suggesting for this film they're going to be an Idris Elba, apparently, is going to be in it. Yeah, yeah. uh, Ian McKellen.
3: Yeah, I look at Idris and think... Oh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's another issue. You know, my, my friend of mine I was talking to about um, cats, and she said it was a very confusing experience as a, a youngish sort of adolescent, because these these sort of cats were like it was sort of jolly and kind of childish in one way, but they're also acting in this kind of sexy, prov- provocative mm, way, in the end of yeah. and she found it very confusing and weird, quite rightly. Which mm, it is. is. Yes, it if, is. If, if, if on paper. Yes.
3: Humans dressed as cats, being childish but also weirdly sexy, and reading T.S. Eliot (laughs) to music.
0: Yes, how have we come to this point where this is a sort of you know the blockbuster that it is? But yeah, I mean um, Jennifer Hudson, Taylor Swift, Mm. Rebel Wilson, James Corden—so they all disagree with me, obviously—and they're all fantastic people. So I don't know, maybe they will change my mind.
1: Yeah, well, Um, as you say, it's been hugely popular. It's had several revivals since was it 1981 it it started and. um, you know Valerie Elliot, Elliot's uh, second wife. Um, she did. You know she worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber, gave him the, the blessing uh, to uh, of the yeah. Elliot estate to to use which is not the poems. it's not
0: easily procured. No, either.
1: no. Although I think yeah. they have probably uh, done probably, all right. Yes, out, yes I it? think they're probably
0: you know <laughs> happy with their decision. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm less happy that there you are. Yeah.
1: Although <laughs> Elliot, I mean the the poems. I think they were written for his godchildren. Is yes, that right? right? Um and um And he did. Um, he wrote a letter to his godson in 1931 which um, has this line which um, always stays with me which is uh, I am glad you have a cat but I do not believe it is so remarkable a cat as my cat (laughs) (laughs) and he did have you know I mean the theme is poets and their pets and he did have uh, a series of cats pet cats uh, that he gave names such as whiskers w-i-s-c-u-s so you kind of see what he's doing there. Um, tantomile or Tantamil. Petty Paws. I like that. noily well. Pratt, which is a brand of vermouth. Yes. <laughs> I uh And George Push Dragon. So, Push Dragon.
3: Uh, what is it when people name animals that suddenly their inner My Little Pony
1: comes out? I know. just... I think, yeah, kindly poops takes some beating. Hardest cat, but uh, yeah, there's some interesting names.
0: If I were to name a cat, I've always thought Aslan would be a very strong name. For yes, me. yeah. yeah. Um, but I read yeah. recently of yeah.
1: somebody who's... Um,
3: tribe of the lion, rather than tribe, yeah. um, somebody's named their cats thoughts and prayers because they're useless. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so the whole world of paired <laughs> cat names isn't there you know <laughs> Carrie and Oki with the Blue Peter Cats and I was great
1: yeah we we, um, um, we we have some visitors come around I don't have a cat of my own but we have neighbours cats come around and the, the neighbours know all about it they say oh yes they, they wander around and uh, the, um, the owner actually adopted them Um, because they were just in the street where she lived before and they didn't seem to have a home so she put out posters and knocked on doors and everything and eventually adopted them and she called them um, Bonnie and Clyde because she thought one was female the other male Turns out they're both male, so oh, yeah. one became Bobby, so we've got Bobby yeah, and Yeah, uh, we just have a
0: male, male Bonnie. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. It's 2019.
1: But yes, uh, yeah, T.S. Eliot's cats, uh, Mark Twain had a number of cats uh, as well, Blatherskite was the name of uh, one of them, <laughs> which uh, is also a word that means somebody who talks a great deal without making much sense, which again, oh, wow. with cats, the, the endless meowing. Uh, Fair they, comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Canaries?
3: Um, Are we going to canaries? Yes,
1: from cats to canaries. Let's, um, we haven't... Uh, we, we've stuck quite closely to dogs and cats, I suppose, for a lot of these. Um, uh, so I've got an excerpt from a poem by Matthew Arnold, probably most famous for Dover Beach, um, his poem about the, the retreating sea of faith. Um, and um, he, uh, the, the background to this poem, Poor Matthias... Um, is um, a canary which belonged to his daughter, um, Nellie. Uh, and when the, the canary died, he agreed to write this elegy for it. And I'm not going to treat you to all of it, but just the first stanza. And um, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's very Victorian. That's probably a bit, uh, a bit harsh on all Victorian poetry. But it's certainly got their fondness for exclamation marks and uh, exhortations and uh, uh, emotional uh, gushings, shall we say. Poor Matthias... Found him lying, fallen beneath his perch and dying. Found him stiff, you say, though warm. All convulsed his little form. Poor canary! Many a year well he knew his mistress dear. Now in vain you call his name. Vainly raise his rigid frame. Vainly warm him in your breast. Vainly kiss his golden crest. Smooth his ruffled plumage fine. Touch his trembling beak with wine. Don't try and revive your lifeless bird with wine. Stole my joke on (laughs) it. Sorry. (laughs) I'll just read you a little bit more. One more gasp. It is the end. Dead and mute, our tiny friend. Songster thou of many a year. Now thy mistress brings thee here. Says it fits that I rehearse tribute due due to thee a verse. Mead for daily song of yore. Silent now forevermore so very, I mean it's, it's not, very it's, moving isn't it it's yes it's, uh, <laughs> um, but it's yeah um, there, there has been a lot of debate about Arnold whether he was uh, sometimes a bit kind of um, um, gauche shall we say with his uh, judging the tone in his poems and technically he's not always you know um, the most accomplished even in Dover Beach you know the imagery is all over the place You've got <laughs> <laughs> it's a very sloppy effort really yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, as much as it is a great poem for all of that um, there are uh, problems that critics have with it and here you've got a poem about a canary that is, um,
0: yeah. Oh, but, you know, he's written it for his daughter. Exactly, yes. Yeah. It's,
1: it's, and on uh, think about Eliot as well, writing for his godchildren, you know. Yeah. So they are writing for children. It's kind of them on a day off, really. And Well, it's, it's
0: funny, isn't it, the connection between writing about animals and, and writing for children and writing about pets and writing for children. It comes up all the time. And I, one of the things I was thinking about um, Eliot's sort of cat book, was sort of published in 1939, and it made me think a lot about Wind in the Willow, sort of published before mm-hmm. the First World War. And that, yeah. you know, there is a sort of turn to sort of innocent themes or, you know, sort of, you know, I like was saying that, you know, animals don't necessarily have self-awareness and, and, you know, they're actually kind of distant, aren't they, from a lot of our sort of worldly troubles or we'd mm-hmm. like to imagine them to be. So I think it's quite interesting that that came out in 1939. Um, but, I th- yeah. but I think, yeah, this, yeah, there's sort of, animals and children thing you gotta kind of give people a bit of leeway you know it's it's kind of embarrassing something about being a poet you know if you're a poet your dad's a poet and, and your canary dies. I think mm. the least he can do is write a poem about yeah. it. And it's a bit like being a musician and you're always asked to play at weddings, you know? It's mm. like, they, that's just, um, you've got to do these things. You've got to take one for the team. I think this is Arnold taking one for the team. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: he does. I don't know um, whether that's why he gets that in the first stanza. Um, yeah. My daughter says it fits that I rehearse. Exactly, it's you. like, <laughs> don't
0: think this was my idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing it for Nelly. It wasn't mm. Nelly, right then.
3: Yeah, Kids and Animals. Um, dog in Famous Five. Enid Blyton constantly puts little puppies in her really early, you know, little children. Yes. Place, you know. yeah. And um, she used to write a newsletter to her readers. She used to include mention of her dog, who was a little terrier, I think. Um, and at some point, somebody sort of questioned this and said, you know, isn't he dead? And she actually said in one of her newsletters, it's ridiculous rumours that he might have died, you know, he's sitting next to me as I write this.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: The dog would have actually been about 34. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she has this massive long writing career, and the dog is a consistent...
1: It's like that idea of when the pet dies and you get one that looks like it, and yeah. you don't tell the child that it's died, but mm. that, on a much yeah. grander scale. Yeah, we all had, <laughs> had the, the school readers. hamster
0: that disappeared and then reappeared a couple of days later. Oh, he's, he's, he's lost. <laughs> We had Mummy in reception, you know, disappeared and was miraculously found three days later. Uh, oh
1: well, yeah, mm. yeah. So she, yeah, she was just uh, trying to keep her readers from uh, continuity, you know, them. You know yeah.
0: stability.
2: Yeah. Mm. And of course,
3: the other bit of uh, high culture, which this uh, is a forerunner of, is the. Um,
1: Monty Python dead parrot sketch. Yes. This is Matthew Arnold's
3: dead canary sketch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In Victorian styling.
1: It actually carries on, you know, so it is an ex canary. (laughs) No. That would have been. He doesn't start whacking it on the given
0: that it is his child's plan. Norwegian blue uh, canary. uh, I mentioned his beautiful plumage.
1: (laughs) Um, I think um, we began with cats. It's only fair I think that we end with dogs, um, so even things out. And uh, Kerry, I think you've got yes. To, now this, this you're is, going to read uh, swiftly to us. Yes.
2: Oh dear. <laughs>
1: um, <clears throat> so we presage this
3: by by the the Pope poem on which is a collar inscription, and the the poem is, "I am His Highness' dog at Kew, Pray tell me, sir, whose dog are you?" Mm. Now. You know more about this than I do, Ollie. This is a uh, this is a political thing It acknowledges <laughs> that we're all somebody's dog. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's critiquing the idea of, of who might His Highness's dog be. But what I discovered is that the um, the theme of what might be found on the collar inscription of a dog mm. is obviously an attractive prospect for the muse. So swift <laughs> and actually interesting. The title of this is "On the Collar of Tiger."
2: Mm -hmm. So
3: we have a return Mm -hmm. to your cat imagery. uh, So this is Swift uh, imagining what might be written on the collar of a dog called Tiger. Pray steal me not, I'm Mrs. Dingley's, whose heart in this four-footed thing lies. (laughs)
0: Love
3: it. Uh, I love that. If ever there was a natural rhyme...
0: Yeah, dingleys and thing lies. Yeah, yeah, it's not
1: forced at all. Is no, it? I, I,
0: just... I love a strained rhyme, yeah. particularly if it covers more than one syllable.
1: Mm. The thing yeah. that I think is Byron well, would amazing. have been proud of. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> given that
3: it's obviously fictional, mm. and given that his last line ends with "thing lies." Swift has absolutely carte blanche to pick any name under the sun in order that the poem works. And he manages to find one that
1: doesn't work and include it. He could have
3: put anybody's name.
1: He could have
3: made a name up that rhymes with thing lies.
1: Yeah, yeah. He
3: could have done anything. (laughs) But he deliberately puts one in that sounds rubbish. Mm,
1: Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the dog being called Tiger. There are so many, th- so many questions. I yeah, think. a lot of yeah. questions about that. Yeah, yeah
0: but also joy. You know? Yeah, I definitely think that is so bad. It's good because you know, I think it's brilliant. Mm. It's inspired, you know. And if and if he had made a more normal rhyme, would we still be discussing it now? No, no. No, no. And um, so
3: much critical attention gets paid to others of Swift's work. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a real lacuna here, in you know, in the attention mm-hmm. that's being paid. Mm. I think about the endless essays and books on different aspects of Swift, but this poem about Tiger's collar Mm. rarely gets the mention.
0: Presumably we're not talking about Taylor Swift.
1: (laughs) No, no, I don't think so. No. We're very very in with our pop culture today, Mm. aren't we, Taylor Swift, Paris Hilton and... uh,
0: She's, well, yeah, um, of, of five years ago, perhaps. I'm not sure. Well, no, I'm sure she's still doing, I'm sure you're very current, Paris. I'm um, sure she's still, do that
1: uh, still around, yes. yeah. She'll
3: be writing a poem about her dog as we speak.
1: Mm.
0: Well, she, she is a singer-songwriter. I've seen, you know, she brought a single out a couple of years ago.
3: There you go. Yeah. Mm. It's a dog's life.
1: Well, thank you for joining us for the latest episode in School of Poetry, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. And thank you for joining us again, Barbara and Kerry. Uh, it'd be great to have you back for your third appearances in the future. Thank you. Um, now, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Elborough English, L-B-O-R-O-E-N-G-L-I-S-H, of course. <laughs> I don't know why I'm spelling out English there. Hopefully, that's a, uh, that's a given. Um, And remember to hit the subscribe button on iTunes and recommend us to more poetry fans. So until then, stay well versed.